Uh, so not too long ago, I, I subscribed to this thing. It's called LeaderCast, which I find is a great tool. If you're ever into leadership and you want that, uh, that tool, let, let me know. I'll, they can send me an email every Tuesday, uh, just a little quip. And then once a year, they have a, a full day of, of videos that you can either watch or you can attend uh, throughout the country. And um, so I, anyway, we were watching that as part of our pastoral leadership uh, uh, training here. And, and one of the keynote speakers this last year uh, was talking about trust. And the, the illustration that he used to demonstrate trust, he says, just look at the way that you text people. If you text someone that you trust, what will you do? Whether it's voice text or whether it's manually texting, you'll just hurry up and, and write it and send it off. You won't, you won't analyze it. You won't do this thing where you, you look for autocorrect or anything like that. It doesn't matter. I mean, and sometimes when you, when you trust someone, you, you just speak it, autocorrect can be pretty funny. Not too long ago, I hate to even admit this, I don't even know what the context was, but I said to my brother-in-law something about a new designer, and it translated it, nude designer. That, that was completely not what I was talking about, right? Um, but uh, but it, I didn't care because it was my brother-in-law, right? So he understood. But if it's somebody you don't know, what happens? You go like this, and then you erase then you go like this, and then you, you kind of wonder, well, should I, should, I, should I put an emoji here or not? I don't, I, I don't like emojis personally. Uh, but, uh, you know, but you, you, you overanalyze, and then even before you press send, you, you read it over again, and you wait maybe a little bit, and then you press send, and then you're like, oh, should I have sent it? You, you just totally overanalyze, because it, it shows you maybe don't trust that person as much as you thought. But that little exercise doesn't just say something about trust. I think it also really hones in on what we're talking about today, that we know the power of words. Words matter. Oh, I know we can say, uh, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words, or we can say actions speak louder than words, or if you're on the playground... Uh, you can quip, right? Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Or I'm rubber, you're glue. Whatever you say bounces off of me and sticks to you. And, and, and we can do those things, but we know they're not always true. We know that words can hurt. And we know that words can stick. We know words matter. And words matter not just when we're talking on a negative standpoint, hurtful words. Words can also matter on a positive aspect. That timely, that timely card or that timely text or that timely email or, or just the way that some people can phrase things that just are so meaningful to us. And, and we see that happening today. And as we take a look at 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, in this very heartfelt letter uh, that Paul writes to these, this group of Christians, rather new Christians, we see he, he understands through God's uh, guiding his pen. He sees the importance of words. Uh, the words that you and I can share with one another, uh, the importance of words that that you and I um, can, can speak to one another, even for the things that we're here today to talk about. 
as we remember our loved ones who have passed away. As we think about how do we deal with those things. That, that was something that the Thessalonians were constantly thinking about. So much of their, their, their brain was about their loved ones who had, had passed away. Or, or they were often thinking about the afterlife. They were often thinking about Judgment Day. Uh, in fact, if you thumb through 1 Thessalonians, this, this rather short letter that Paul writes to them, every chapter ends with a thought about Judgment Day. And, and really, that's what has them worried at this point. Because in their mind, they are wondering, okay, if my loved one passed away before Judgment Day, are they going to miss out on Judgment Day? They were wondering, do you have to be alive in order to hear the last trumpet? If you're not alive when Jesus comes back, uh, you know, did you just miss it? I mean, could you imagine how troubling that would be? Already, I think people are somewhat scared of facing death. But imagine if it meant, if, if missing, if, if dying meant you wouldn't be part of the afterlife. Imagine what that would be like if you were dying and said, oh, now I'm going to miss a Jesus' return. How, how troubling that would be. Now, by God's grace, by God's grace, that's not us. By God's grace, even though we don't have you know, by God's grace, we know that the eyelids that close in death are going to open up again and are going to see Jesus face to face. And so while we maybe don't have the same uncertainty that the Thessalonians have, I would pray that the, the certainty of these words that Paul shares with them brings us comfort today as we remember our loved ones, or as we even face and prepare uh, for our own deaths someday. And so what are these words? What are these words that matter? So this is what Paul writes uh, to the Thessalonians. Uh, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you uh, to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that... We who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Aren't those awesome words? If, if I am ever in your midst, and I'm, I'm, I'm holding you to this, if, if I am grieving the loss of one of my loved ones, if my parents pass away or a friend or whatever, Please read these words to me. Uh, these, these rank right up there as far as my favorite passages of Scripture. And, and you can understand uh, why Paul wrote these uh, to the Thessalonians, why, why Paul writes these words uh, to you and to me. I mean, he starts off there by saying, hey, we don't want you to be uninformed. Uh, you know, they often say ignorance is bliss. I'm not so sure about that. Sometimes ignorance is just ignorance, Right? Uh, that 
that, that and, and I think th sometimes that can be our approach to death. We just want to ignore it at all costs. We don't want to talk about it. We avoid it. We, you know, it, it makes us nervous. So we think if I just ignore it, it will go away. Uh, we maybe avoid any symptoms that we might have that would cause us to go to the doctor because, you know, we just don't want to have to face that. Or, but, but the reality is death is real. I, we, we can't run from it. We can't just ignore it. Plants die, right? Pets die. People die. Ever since sin entered into the world through one man by the name of Adam, death came along with it. It is part of our world. And I, mean, I know the phrase always is there's, there's only two things that are real in life, death and taxes, right? And then if you ever talk to Bill Melchiori, our new member, he's a CPA, he says, no, that's not true. You can avoid taxes. You might have to go to prison. But you can avoid taxes. But death, you can't. Death is real. And that's why God says to us, he says, I don't want you to be uninformed about it. I want you to be prepared for it. I want you to face it head on. He doesn't want us just to bury our heads in the sand as if it doesn't exist, because it does exist. And so, so, he, so he starts off, he says, I don't want you to be uninformed. And you may be saying, well, why? Why does God want us to think about death? Why does God want us to face death? the reality of death. Does he just want us to go through life with this, this big dark cloud hanging over us and think, oh yeah, life is all doom and gloom? Or, you know, does he want us to live in such a way that we're paranoid that the grim reapers around every corner? No, that's not the reason why he doesn't want us to be informed. But you go on here and he says, we don't want you to be uninformed for this reason because we don't want you to grieve like the rest of mankind that has no hope. And it's important to, to see what it says and what it doesn't say here. It doesn't say, Jesus doesn't say, we don't want you to grieve, period. It never says that. If it was wrong to grieve, shame on us for holding grief share last Sunday. Right? God, Jesus grieved. It's not a sin to grieve at all. Uh, and, and, I, and I think sometimes that messes us up too. We feel guilty about grieving. We shouldn't. You know, every time I hear these words, I, I think of my poor cousin. I, my, my aunt died at a rather young age, and I remember going to that funeral. Oh, I was maybe in high school or college, and, and, uh, and my cousin saying, I'm not going to cry and let the devil win. Don't do that to yourself. It's okay to cry. All right, it, 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 the tears are not the devil's trophy. Ah, look, I got another one. No, what, what's the devil's trophy when it comes to death? Despair. Hopelessness. That's what the devil wants us to feel. That's when he wins. When he robs us of all hope. And that's, that's, what, that's what Paul writes to these Thessalonians. He says, hey, I don't want you to be uninformed. Why? Because I don't want you to grieve like the rest of the world that has no hope. And that word hope, that's a word that matters, isn't it? I, I think if you go through in a, a concordance, a concordance is a, a book that kind of, or a, 
a tool that tells you how many times a word shows up in a Bible. 190 times that word hope shows up. And, and in some very beautiful, some favorite passages of people. Uh, I think of Isaiah 40, uh, verse 31, which says, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Or last week as Vicar was preaching on on a time to pause, a time to rest. I, I thought of those words from the psalmist where he says, my soul, my soul finds rest in God. And my hope comes from him. Or, or what's often on a top 10 list, and I know it was uh, Dave's, Dave McLean's favorite passage, Isaiah, or uh, Jeremiah 29, 11, right? I, I, know the, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Uh, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you Plans to give you hope in a future. Beautiful words. And Paul writes to the Thessalonians, that's what I want you to have. When you're grieving, I don't want you to grieve like the rest of the mankind. I want you to grieve with hope. And why? Why can you have hope as you remember your loved ones? Why can you have hope as you, as you face your own death? Well, he goes on to explain here. Uh, very well, he says, for, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. This is so God. I mean, you ever notice that about God? He doesn't just address our fears, he obliterates them. Our, our God is never a God who does just enough to scrape by as our God. So what, what's the Thessalonians' fear? Their fear is that, oh, their loved ones die before the Lord comes back, so they're going to miss out. And so what does God say? He says, no, they're not going to miss out. In fact, they're not just not, not going to miss out. They're going to rise first. And you know, so he, he goes beyond their fears. They're going to be the first ones to enjoy everything that Jesus has enjoyed, or Jesus has won for them. Isn't that fantastic? But then this is what God does too. He says, okay, so now that I've addressed your fears and completely obliterated your worries, I know what's going to happen next. Now another worry is going to follow up that. So, so let me address that right away because you're probably thinking, okay, if the people who died get to enjoy uh, eternity first, well, does that mean that I'm going to miss out? If I'm still alive when Jesus comes back, am I going to miss out on, on Judgment Day? And Jesus says, wait, 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 wait. I'll, I'll address that right away. And he says, after that, and, and by that after, he, don't think of this as years or months or days. Uh, if you look at 1 Corinthians 15, which is the great resurrection chapter, it says this is going to happen in a flash in the twinkling of an eye. All right, so the dead in Christ are going to rise first. And then after that, we who are still alive are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And there's some very important words that matter in that little description. Starting off with the words, with them. You know, when we sang that hymn, whether it was between verses 1 and 2, or whether it was between verses 2 and 3, you thought of people. You had images in your mind of people that have passed away. And I'd encourage you to 
to resketch those images in your mind right now. And maybe it's one person, maybe it's two, maybe it's three, maybe it's four. Maybe it's grandma, maybe it's grandpa, maybe it's friend, maybe it's brother, maybe it's son. As you see those people, that's who the them is of this passage. You are going to be with them. All those images that you just thought about, you're going to be with them when Jesus comes back. And, and not is it only uh, comforting for us to know that, that you'll be with them, you also have a shared experience with them. That's like doubly joyful, right? You think of what Thanksgiving is. Why do people enjoy Thanksgiving? It's because so often they're with their loved ones. But isn't it even better, not just when you're with somebody, but when you're doing something, a shared experience, it just cements that relationship. All the more, well, now look at what happens here. You're with them as you meet the Lord in the air. What a great thing to do with these people that you love, that have died in the Lord. And then he, and then he goes on and he says, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Those are also some words that matter. Not only are you with your loved ones, you're also with the Lord. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? Just to pull up a chair and say, hey, Jesus, can we talk? I'm with you. Tell me, Jesus, what was it like to come down to this earth at Christmas time? Yeah. Or Jesus, you know, I'm curious, what was going through your mind when you were preaching that one day and there were thousands of people on the shoreline and they were getting hangry and, and, and you didn't really know how you were going to feed them and then this one little boy comes up with a lunch of five loaves of, fish, five loaves of bread and two fish. Well, what was going through your mind at that? Huh? Or, you know, just to dine with Jesus, you enjoyed maybe a meal uh, this last Thursday or Wednesday or Friday with your family. Uh, food always makes things better. You think about what's going to happen in heaven. You know, to, a little bit later, we're going to celebrate Holy Communion. Jesus says, I can't wait to drink it anew with you in the kingdom of God. How cool is that? Or to think that he, uh, you know, he's going to call you by your name and how life-changing that can be. I think of Mary Magdalene hanging outside uh, the, by the tomb on Easter morning, and when she hears Mary, changes her life forever. In heaven, God's going to say, Brandon, or Britt, or Bradley, or Braden, and he won't get those names mixed up like I always do when I call the Petersons, right? Why won't he mix them up? Because he'll know you. He'll know you personally. And he'll call you by name. You get to be with the Lord. Talk about words that matter. And then he says, you'll be with the Lord forever. That word is also a word that matters. Especially on a day like today. On a day like today, when we're, when we're remembering our losses, when we're remembering our goodbyes, that little word forever changes everything. 
because it says goodbye will no longer be a word that matters. Goodbye will no longer be a word that's even needed as part of our vocabulary. That's what you have. I mean, you just go through this whole letter and you, you see word after word after word after word that matters. And then, and then Paul ends this way and he says, therefore, and you've heard me say this enough now in sermons, um, if whenever you see the word therefore, ask what's the therefore therefore, right? This is one of those, those words in the Bible that just says, hey, call attention, call attention to this. This explains why all those words that came before this matter. Why does God talk about grieving and hope? Why does God talk about death and resurrection and reunion? Why does God talk about uh, being with the Lord forever? Because these, these words are what it's all about. These words are what changes our whole life. These words are what encourage us when we're missing our loved ones. These words are what encourage us as we face our own death someday. And so brothers and sisters, and I don't know if you caught that, but that's how Paul started off. Those words matter too. You're my brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, might you be encouraged by these words because these words matter. Amen. And may the peace of God which transcends all understanding keep your hearts and your minds through faith. Right?